Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. If you have your Bibles, please, we're going to turn to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, and we're going to start from verse 2 all the way through verse 6. So we're going to look at these verses. As you're turning to those verses, um, also just remember on our church app, there's all the notes there. You can follow along and take notes from there. And so we want to be able to get started here. If you remember last week, we started this whole series called Origins. And the reason why is because we wanted to go back to how things got started with HMCC. I know that for many of you, uh, you're either new to our church or maybe just for some of us, it's just been um, just several years or maybe from the beginning that we started here in Hong Kong. But the church goes all the way back to 1996 in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And it was during that time that we were able to have this vision to see a gathering of people, the people of God, the redeemed people of God coming together to worship and to really be a 21st century church that will be reminiscent of what we saw in the first century. That's why last week we talked about uh, everyone and that if we have truly experienced transformation through the gospel, and that is something that anyone can experience, if we humble ourselves and receive this message of grace by faith, and then through that, then we are to proclaim it to everyone. And it doesn't matter who it is, but by faith, we share this message, this good news. And so as I was kind of thinking about it, how are we going to transition now into the second part as we uh, talk about every day, every single day. What does that mean for us as we think about our church? And so one of the things that I wanted to kind of mention is that when I think about boldly proclaiming this gospel message, one of the things that come clearly is that how are we to share this message on a regular basis? Every single day, the opportunities that God gives us, how are we supposed to share that? And this is, I think, why some of us, we struggle with whether it's evangelism or just building relationships with people because we ourselves have not truly experienced the power of the gospel message in ourselves. In fact, it feels very inauthentic that we can't tell somebody that God will transform your life if our lives have not been transformed by this gospel message. And so what we begin to see happen for many of us is that we begin to compartmentalize our faith. That there is a Sunday faith where we come to church or even church gatherings that we have and we play the part, we act like Christians. But as you know that many of us, we struggle when we start on Monday, whether it's back to work or maybe to our families, to our friends, whatever it may be, whoever it may be, that is, we struggle with trying to live out this gospel message and sharing the power of the gospel. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to take this time and have all of us do a Mentimeter. We wanted to take a poll. I think just having you involved in this will give us a little glimpse of who are some of the people watching. I know some of you are watching in maybe pairs or in families and so in your room uh, with your roommates. But what we want to do is have you participate in this so that we can get a better feel of where people are when it comes to living out this gospel message every single day and then sharing it with people who 
far around us. So here's a Mentimeter that and if you look at the screen, please uh, scan the QR code there. Or if you cannot scan, you could type in the web page and uh, we'll be able to get that uh, lined up on your browser there. So please go ahead and scan it. And so I have five quick questions. And as we're asking the questions, as people are responding, you'll be able to kind of get a feel of where people are. And these are people in our church. And how do they feel about whether it's evangelism or building relationships with people and sharing their faith? So the first question is this. Who would you say are the hardest people to share your faith with on a regular basis? So who are some of the people that you really struggle with trying to share your faith? And here are your choices. First is your family. So that's A, that's the first one. Your friends, your coworkers or your classmates. I kind of lumped them together, whether you're a student or a single adult. And then your roommates, those you are living with. And then lastly, strangers. So go ahead and fill that out and then you'll see it here. Hopefully we'll see a response of what people are responding with. And as you can tell, it seems like family and coworkers or classmates are sometimes the hardest people to share. As you can tell, as you're looking at uh, that screen there, as well as strangers, as you know, sometimes just walk up to somebody you don't know and to be able to share. But as you can tell, it's mostly family and our coworkers. As you know, this is a big chunk of our lives being spent uh, throughout the day and throughout the week. It's our family members and our coworkers or classmates. The second question is this. Within this past month, how many times were you able to share your faith with somebody? So within the past month, how many times were you able to share your faith with someone? So the first is uh, nobody. You weren't able to share with anybody. Um, one or two or three or four. And the last option is over five times this month. And what I mean sharing your faith is being able to talk about Jesus, what he means to you, and actually presenting the gospel. So if you can kind of look at it that way, not just talking about, oh, yeah, like I went to church, but really being able to share the gospel message with somebody and having conversations about who Jesus is. So as you can tell, uh, most of us fall into the first two, whether it's we haven't been able to do it this past month or at least once or twice we had some of these conversations with some of the people that are in our lives. So this will help us to get a better idea and get a better feel. The third question is this. Have you ever said the sinner's prayer with someone who decided to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? So have you ever brought that person into a relationship with Christ by saying that prayer of faith with them? So if you will look on the screen, you'll see the response of people. And if you will notice here, it says that most people have not. And like I said, I think this is something that is not to make you feel guilty or be condescending in any way, but the reality is that we, all of us, uh, we think about sharing our faith and saying that sinner's prayer. We realize it's not that easy. And I'm hoping that many of us will get into that blue section and be able to do that at least once with somebody in our lives. This is kind of, the next question is kind of related to that. But have you ever participated in someone's baptism? 
So what I mean by that is you actually came into the water and you helped baptize that person with that pastor who was baptizing them. So have you ever participated in someone's baptism? So you will see it here. And, you know, it's encouraging to see that many of you have. Uh, a lot of it is because of life group and just being able to interact with one another. And so you have done life, life change groups, LCGs, or you're discipling them. And so we have seen people who have come into the baptism, baptistry, with somebody else as they have come to get baptized. And the last question is this, and this is going to be a little bit more of a, a word cloud, just so that you can see different responses from people in our church. And it's simply this, what would you say is your greatest fear when it comes to evangelism that hinders you from sharing your faith? So let's just share what are some of the greatest fears? What are some things that hold us back from sharing and proclaiming the gospel message to whether our family, our friends, co-workers, whoever it may be? So let's look at this. So here we go. We see some of these words popping up, and a major one is rejection. As you can tell, there's hypocrisy and not convincing enough, maybe no relationship currency, not being able to have enough relationship with that person. But it seems very clear that rejection and probably hypocrisy are some of the bigger ones that we see here. And maybe opinions of what they will think of us if we were to share the gospel message with some of these people. So once again, you'll see here and you'll notice that rejection is one of the big responses. And the reason why I had us do this is just to get a feel that you're not alone. In fact, being able to live out this gospel message every single day because your life is being transformed by it, not just in salvation, but even in the process of growth and sanctification, but to then share it with other people because it is good news. We understand that it's not that easy and it's not something that's natural and a, a, a muscle that we have built up so that we don't even have to think about it. We're able to just share it with whomever that God brings our way. And I think this is the reason why we have to understand that many of us who know the gospel here, but it hasn't taken root and transformed our lives, there's a huge dichotomy in the way we live our lives every single day. And the more we can get to a point where we not only believe it up here and understand it, but allow it to go into our lives and we live by faith every single day, we're not, going to able, we're not going to be able to experience this power of this good news that God offers to us. I love what T.S. Eliot said. He said this. He said, the greatest proof of Christianity for others is not how far a man can logically analyze his reasons for believing, but how far in practice he will stake his life on his belief. Let me read it again. It says this. The greatest proof of Christianity for the others is not how far a man can logically analyze his reasons for believing, but how far in practice he will stake his life on his belief. So just think about that for a moment. That it's not so much how well you can argue or analyze and try to decipher and to maybe even share it in that way, but it's how much you believe in this gospel message that it is the power of God that it could transform you. It could renew your mind. Some of the things that some of us have been struggling with for so many years, 
whatever it may be, some of the addictions in our lives. Maybe some of us, we've been wounded and hurt to be able to believe by faith that this gospel message is going to heal us. Some of us who are even going through stages of depression or maybe feeling this hopelessness, whatever it may be, even in the midst of the whole pandemic, that oftentimes when people see that you're willing to lay down your life for something that you believe in, it is one of the most powerful tools or ways for people to hear the gospel message because they're going to ask questions like, why are you so different? Why is it that you believe in what you believe? Why is it that you do what you do? It's because you're willing to put your whole life behind this. So let me give us the one thing. The one thing for today that I want to share is simply this, that the everyday opportunity from God is an everyday visibility for God. That simply that the everyday opportunity from God is the everyday visibility for God. So I'm going to highlight two things in this passage that we're going to read in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 to 6. And I want to talk a little bit about what we must do as we think about how every single day we have these opportunities that God gives us. It's from God. He opens the doors. He, he leads us to different places. And it's in those moments where the question now becomes, do you see that it's an avenue for us to make God visible to people because the way we love, the way we serve, and the way we live our lives. So I want to talk about this idea of our everyday opportunity from God is the everyday visibility for God. The first point is this, that we must pray for our witness, that we must pray for our witness. Let me just kind of give a, a backdrop of this chapter, chapter 4, and because this is the last chapter in this book. And the whole book of Colossians, if you ever read it, you'll, it's a very important book in the Bible. But the whole book of Colossians, it talks about the supremacy of Christ. Just from chapter 1 all the way through, we see this idea of the preeminence, that there is no one else compared to Jesus Christ. And that's why in chapter 1, he talks about the preeminence of Christ and that everything was created by him, by Jesus Christ and through him, and it's for him. Then the Apostle Paul talks about the ministry to the church. Because if we believe that there is no one like Jesus Christ, then he says the way we understand that it's going to be played out in the ministry to the church, which is to other believers and to people around us. And so then he talks about what it really means, the way we live our lives. It will be completely differently, not only internally, but externally with other people around us. And then he finishes off chapter 3 on the rules of Christian households and how people's lives have to be transformed. Now he comes to chapter 4 and gives us some important and further instructions on how to live our lives for Christ. So let me just go ahead and look at verse 2 and 4. And what he does here is he focuses on prayer. And that's why I want to talk about how we must pray for our witness. A couple things that I want to highlight here. The first thing is this. We see when we talk about how we must pray for our witness is that we have to see the perseverance of our prayers, the perseverance in our prayers. Let's go ahead and read verse 2. This is what... The Word of God says in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, 
It says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So let's just pause here as we look at this first verse. I want you to notice the phrase, continue steadfastly, as Paul talks about prayer in this start of this chapter. Now, that phrase, continue steadfastly, can be translated as to give constant attention to a thing, to preserve, to wait continually upon, to be in constant readiness for. So you'll notice here that it's this idea of learning how to focus in on something, learning how to wait continually upon him, and also learning to persevere. Now, it has this idea of devoting yourself to something and learning how to persist without giving. So here's this chapter four, and after he talks about the preeminence and the supremacy of Jesus Christ, He then talks about how it's important to be able to constantly, steadfastly persevere in prayer. Now, this idea of devoting something and be in continual prayer, you'll see this also in Romans chapter 12, verse 12. And it says this, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. And it says here, be constant in prayer. Now, Paul understood that prayer is not something that is instantaneous. And I think this is something that we have to understand, not only in what the Bible says, but also in our lives. There's something about giving constant attention to or persevering or waiting that helps us to depend on God a little bit more than we did before. Now, it's important to note that one way to learn how to persevere in prayer And he continues on in that phrase in verse 2, which is be watchful and thankful. Now, this is why Paul says in verse 2 to be watchful, which means to give what? It's to give strict attention to, to be aware, to be alert, and to be vigilant. So when you think about this, what Paul is saying is when you're praying, Don't just move your mouth and just pray as if it's nothing. But he's saying you got to do it watchfully. This is the same word that Jesus gave to his disciples. If you remember in Gethsemane, right before he was going to be tried and then crucified on the cross. In Mark chapter 14, verse 38, I'm going to read it from the Amplified Version. Read the yellow section with me. Start it off and it says this. Keep actively watching and praying so that you do not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. So this idea of keep actively watching and praying. Therefore, there's this this persevering in prayer that Paul is trying to address to those people who are followers of Jesus Christ, that as we persevere in prayer, you're being watchful. We're commanded to also do this with what? It says here, thanksgiving. Now, let me just say this. There is a powerful link between prayer and thankfulness or gratitude, however you want to look at it. And you'll see this link all throughout the Bible in the New Testament about thankfulness, gratitude, and prayer. And also about prayer. And as you're praying, do it with gratitude and with thanksgiving. 
Let me give us a couple verses. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 in the New American Standard Bible says this. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Come on, let's say this together. By prayer and supplication, and it says with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So by prayer and supplication, and it says here with thanksgiving. So as you're praying, as you're praying to God, make sure it's done with thanksgiving. That's why I think one of the best things we can do is to be able to even, before we ask of God, of anything, just to be able to spend some time thanking Him. Start with salvation. Thank, thank Him for life. Thank you for His faithfulness and the blessings that you received thus far that we were not deserving of it. But with thankfulness, presenting our requests to God. Here's another verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. It says this, and read the yellow section with me. It says, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So once again, it says continually. That's the same word. It says give thanks in all circumstances. Now I'm wondering if some of us are giving up on prayer because we have lost our heart of thanksgiving. I want us to think about this for a moment. There are some of us right now, as you're watching your screen, many of us do not have a prayer life. And I'm wondering, why is it that we don't pray? Can one of the reasons, possibility, is because you're not a very thankful person? In fact, that's a sign of entitlement. That's a sign of a person who's self-centered and thinks that everything revolves around them. And so when things don't go their way, they have a hard time being thankful. Or when you have something or receive something and it's not what you want, you feel like you deserve something better. You tend to have this lack of thankfulness or gratitude. And that's why it's hard to pray. It's hard to depend on God, to trust in Him. As I was thinking about this and I, the persevering in prayer, how that's such an important part to praying for our witness, I was thinking about our church. And just back in the day from the late 1990s, even in the early 2000s and on, I mean, we, one of the things we emphasize so much is on prayer. And there were many gatherings that we have, and I still remember we would have these all-night prayer gatherings in our church. And the thing is that as we stayed up as long as we could, I, I think for some of us, we were trying to stay up as longer than, longer than somebody else next to us so we could tell them, like, I stayed up all night or I stayed up longer than you. But I remember those times we would stay up to 3 to 4. Sometimes, uh, last time I remember it was like 5.45 or so, and we just ended towards 6 o'clock. And one of the reasons was because we were praying for so many different things. We're praying for one another. We're praying for the different needs that we had in our church. Uh, I also took that time to actually pray for people. I, I wanted to show you some pictures that we have here. And you'll notice, if you look at some of these pictures, uh, these were some of these all-night prayers that we would have back in Michigan. And we would pray for people and Life groups will be gathering together and they'll be praying for people. And as they're praying, the Spirit of God was moving. We were worshiping in between. We we're hearing the word. We we're encouraging one another. We we're speaking truth and uh, God's promises onto one another. And so when I think about it, this is something that is part of our DNA of our church. 
This is what has caused us to be who we are and where we are even at this very moment. I want to just challenge us as we think about our lives. Just think about your life group. Think about our church. I'm just wondering if we have kind of lost our way and in the importance of prayer. You know, I think many of us do a good job of complaining and saying all the things that we don't like about this or that. But when was the last time you actually prayed? There are people in our lives that we have a hard time loving. When was the last time you actually prayed for them and asked God for blessings upon their lives, even though that is the last thing you want God to do, but you actually began to pray for them? No wonder some of us, our hearts are so small. We cannot love other people. A lot of it is tied into it. It's all about us. We're very self-centered. Our insecurities. And we try to cover it up, whether it's with performance of other things that we try to present ourselves. And deep inside, we're almost like this tree that's being eaten away by all these termites. And so what happens is that we are hollow inside. I'm wondering what would happen if we fill that up with prayer. Even praying for our city with the situation that's going on. Like God knows what he's doing more than you will figure it out. No matter how much you read the news. And some of it is fake news or kind of bent towards one way or another. I hope you're reading both sides. So think about that for a moment. That how many of us that we're trying to tackle things that are in spiritual nature or things that are humanly impossible just by our own strength or power or wisdom. You cannot change people. No matter how much you try to share the gospel, it is the work of God that will change people. This is the reason why we have to pray. Some of you are trying to overcome some of the things in your life, whether it's from the past or maybe some of the things, new things that have occurred in your life, and there is nothing within yourself or anything that any leader or pastor can do to set you free. The only way is through prayer. When was the last time you persevered in prayer with watchfulness and thankfulness? So you will notice here, not only the perseverance in prayer, because we're talking about praying for this witness, that we will be a witness for Christ with the everyday opportunities that we get. So not only the perseverance, but I want you to note in verse 3 and 4, we see this perspective in our prayers. Let's go ahead and read verse 3 and 4. Listen to what the Word of God says. It says here, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ, an account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So let's stop here and look at this as we talk about the perspective in our prayers. I think if we're honest and examine some of our personal prayers, we have to confess it is a very self-centered prayer. We make it all about us, don't we? Our needs, our want. Lord, give me this job. Or God, help the situation to be alleviated or to help me to do this or accomplish this. Take this thing away. And the problem is, I mean, please, don't get me wrong. I, I, I believe that when we have needs, we should pray. We should ask other people to pray for us. And I think that's a good thing. 
But what I want you to understand is, the, but the problem is that if the only time that you pray and come to God, depending on Him, is when things that you need or things get too hard, then what I'm saying is that will make you more inward focused and make prayer all about you. In fact, you will lose perspective. I think this is one of the reasons why we don't pray when things are going well. Think about this for a moment. If you only pray in a very self-centered way when there's a need or a want, then when things are going well, you will not pray. And if you think about it, think about the percentage of your life where things go well. I want you to just pause and think about this. Think about the percentage of your life where there's nothing that's dramatic. It's kind of like the everyday mundane things. And if you don't know how to pray during those times, then we're not going to pray when that's the majority of our lives. So we will only pray when things get hard. That's why a little side note. I'm wondering because God loves you too much to leave you right where you are. He allows trials and tribulations to come to cause you to pray. But as I was thinking about this, I realized why we get so frustrated and angry when God doesn't answer our prayers. And so I, I was thinking about this as I was thinking about prayer and why sometimes we don't have the perspective, we don't know how to persevere in prayer. And so I thought to myself and I said, what if the only time, uh, those of you who are parents, uh, you could probably understand a little bit more, but what if the only time, or maybe some of you are the children, so this is probably what your parents are thinking, all right? So pay attention to this. What if the only time a child, your child calls you is when they need money? So think about that for a moment. Or if you want to put it and make it more real to you, is that what if the only time your friend, I'll put that in quotes, contacts you is when they need something from you. That's the only time they contact you. How would you feel? I think if you put yourself in the situation, I think you'll know very much. You'll know very well how it will feel in your life. Because if you look at it from the perspective of the person doing the asking, right? So... Let's say I'm your friend that only contacts you when I need something. Or I am the, the son that only contacts my parents when I need something, money, or whatever it may be. So if I look at it from my perspective, I would say, what's wrong with them? Like, why are they responding to me this way? Don't they love me? Isn't that how many of us would respond? Especially if you're unaware, you have no self-awareness. That you'll be wondering, what is going on? Why are they treating me this way? Why aren't they responding faster? Why did they give me that look? Why did they return my call? So this is what happens when we think about that. Let me show you some pictures of some children. So the first one is, you, you, there's shock, right? Oh my God, like what is going on? And then why aren't they responding to me? Why aren't they answering? And then from there comes anger. Right? We, get, we get a little bit angry because we're like, wait a minute, why aren't they responding? Why aren't they doing this for me? Like, I'm very frustrated. And then from anger becomes more anger and it's more visible now. And lastly, you'll notice, I don't want to talk to you anymore. I don't want to hear. <laughs> why am I showing this? 
this is what we look like when it comes to prayer and our relation with God. We only call him up when we need something. And how do you think God would feel if you were God? The prodigal son that's always kind of drifting away only when he needs something. And sometimes what God wants more is that he doesn't want to just give you something, but he wants to shape you. He wants a relationship with you. That's what's primary for him. That he wants you to learn how to abide and to trust. To live according to his preeminence and his majesty. So that's why maybe that he's not answering some of our prayers so quickly. It's kind of interesting that Paul had a total different perspective than most of us when it comes to prayer. Not only was he asking for prayer for himself, he says, pray for me, but he was also asking prayer for his team. If you know, he was in this area in Colossae with Timothy as well as with Epaphras. Epaphras. And so in this team, he says, pray for me, also pray for those around me because he's realizing that they cannot do this ministry on their own. And then he prays that a door for the word to declare and so that they can declare the mystery of Christ, that those doors will open. Now, what he's really saying is he's praying for opportunities to preach the gospel. Now, the reason why this is so powerful and important is because he was in prison when he was writing this letter. So think about this for a moment. What kind of perspective did this man have? Because I think if we were in the same situation, we'll be praying to God, Lord, take this away from me. Help me to get out. Let bad things happen to that jailer or the government. But what is he praying? What he's simply praying, he's not praying to be released from prison, but he's praying rather that it's a prayer of the gospel to go forth. I'm just wondering what would happen if we had this kind of priority and perspective with the situation that we're in right now. Think about this for a moment. Instead of praying, God, give me a job, we will be praying, Lord, teach me to be humble and to develop a greater faith in you. And that will be a whole different perspective. That your whole life does not rest on a job. Instead of saying, Lord, take this pain away from me, maybe what we can pray is, God, if this brings you glory through my weaknesses and through the things that I'm going through, then let it be. May I glorify you that much more. What a different perspective. And I'm wondering how many of us have this kind of perspective. Instead of, God, why aren't you answering my prayer? Well, pray, God, teach me to rest and to fully trust in your sovereignty. I think, but sadly, 
how many of us pray for things to make it easier and more comfortable. But as we gain perspective, we'll be able to pray more specifically for our witness to our families, to our friends, to our co-workers, to our classmates, and even to random strangers. Listen to what Philip Yancey said in his book, Prayer Writes, in, in his book, Prayer. He writes this, Prayer may seem at first like disengagement, a reflective time to consider God's point of view, but that vantage presses us back to accomplish God's will, the work of the kingdom. We are God's fellow workers, and as such, we turn to prayer to equip us for the partnership. Do you see that? The, the prayer is really this relationship that we're building up with God because we are partners in doing the ministry. He can use so many other things to bring glory to himself and even bringing people to himself. But he delights in using us to share this gospel message to people around us. How about us this morning? Are we persevering in our prayers? I'm wondering when was the last time you prayed steadfastly, just continued on and not given up? When was the last time you prayed for open doors for your family, your co-workers? I'm, I'm talking about you, you for your family because they're closest to you every single day. You have a prayer calendar where you're praying every day of the week and every week of the month you're praying for them. Even if it's just five minutes, just praying for them because you realize you can't change people. Only God can. Maybe for your coworkers, before you go into work, before rushing in and checking your phone and doing all the stuff, why don't we just spend, what, a minute before the elevator goes all the way up just to refocus your mind and your perspective and to pray for your coworkers. Pray for that person that you've been building a relationship with. I'm just wondering what would happen if we had this kind of mindset. We must pray for our witness through perseverance in our prayer and to have the perspective in our prayer. I wanted to take this time and just break us up into huddle groups. I know many of you are already on Zoom and you're connected with some of your life group members. And especially to those of us who are just joining us for the first time, uh, we have a separate room for you, a Zoom room that we would love for you to join and to meet other people and some of our greeters who will be able to lead you in our time of discussion. We just do this because we think it's important that instead of just listening and just watching the screen in front of you, to be able to process some of the stuff that is being mentioned and to be able to share it and to continue to do what we value, which is community. And as we vulnerably share with one another, that it will open up opportunities for us to maybe later on even receive prayers and that you could pray for them and you could encourage them in different ways, even after the Sunday. And so here are the two questions that I want you to think about. And the two questions are simply this. Why is prayer an important part of a Christ follower's life, especially when it comes to being a witness for Christ? And secondly, how does a person develop a similar kind of perseverance and perspective in prayer like Paul? Like how do you develop that kind of mindset and that kind of lifestyle when it comes to prayer? So go ahead. I'm going to give you about seven minutes 
to talk about this amongst yourselves. So we don't have much time, so I don't know, depending how big your group is, just quickly go ahead and share, and then we'll come back together. You can look at the screen, and we'll tell you how many more minutes and seconds that we have left. So have a blessed time. Okay, well, hopefully you had a good time just discussing uh, about prayer and the importance of prayer to our witness. And now I want to go into the second point as I close out here and talk about how we must proclaim as a witness. So not only to pray for our witness, but to proclaim as a witness for Jesus Christ. So let's go ahead and read verse 5 through 6 as we close out in this last section here. It says this, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So you'll notice after he talks about prayer and he's praying that the gospel will go forth, not only did he persevere, but also having a different perspective. But we will notice here that he begins to then share the importance of being this witness and how to be that witness. So he talks about this idea of walking in wisdom toward outsiders. And this was very important to Apostle Paul because you will notice here the word walking or to walk in different translations means to live, to behave, or to conduct oneself. So you will notice that this idea of walk, whenever you see this word walk, you'll see that it means to live, to behave, or to conduct oneself. And the reason why this was so important to Apostle Paul was because he had a passion for those people who did not know Jesus Christ. And especially to his Jewish brothers and sisters who did not know Christ or they knew Christ but they rejected Christ. That he was so passionate that they would come to know him as the Messiah. That he talks about how it's important to look at our lives and the way we live our lives and how we are as a witness of Jesus Christ. Now you will notice that the word outsider is translated as those who are without. So the word outsider that you see here, it's translated as those that are without. So Apostle Paul is referring to those who are not part of God's family. So they're without Christ. If you want to look at it at a different angle, they are the ones without hope. They are the ones without peace. They're the ones without this joy, without forgiveness. So he has this mindset that he says to those of us who are in the inside, it's not by what we have done, what we've earned, but it's by the grace of God. And those people who have yet to experience this understanding of this gospel message that leads to salvation, he says they are the outsider. They are without. Now he wanted the believers to live in such a way that it will gain the respect of those around them, and especially those who are pre-Christians. Listen to this other verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 12. I'm going to read it from the message translation. It says this, We want you living in a way that will command the respect of outsiders, not lying around, sponging off your friends. Let me read it now in the amplified translation and read the yellow section with me. It says this, So that you will behave properly towards outsiders, exhibiting good character 
personal integrity and moral courage worthy of the respect of the outside world and be dependent on no one and in need of nothing, be self-supporting. Here's another translation of this idea. In the Passion Translation, it says this, by doing this, you will live, come on, say this yellow part with me, honorable life, influencing others, and commanding respect of even the unbelievers. So right away, you get this idea that Paul's burden, his passion, is that we got to watch how we walk or how you, we live, how we behave, because those who are on the outside, those without Christ, those without the hope, the joy, and the peace, so that they will be able to see that this is something that they would desire to come in and experience for themselves. That's why learning how to proclaim as a witness of Christ is learning how to live responsibly to those who are pre-Christians who are normally might be turned off by the gospel. Now, some of you might be wondering, why is it that in our church we call those people who are not followers of Jesus or unbelievers or those who are non-Christians, we call them pre-Christians because we believe that the most significant thing that could happen in a person's life is the moment they realize the gospel message and receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That is the most important part of our lives. That's why we put a stake in the ground and we said this is a very key moment. And anything before that is pre experiencing the gospel, pre-experiencing this hope, pre-experiencing all the things that God has for us. And everything that comes after is post as we become followers of Jesus Christ. That's why those people who have yet to experience God's grace and mercy through the gospel, we call them pre-Christians because they haven't experienced this moment in their life yet. Also, we just felt that it was just better to not call somebody a non or an un but it's better to just say this person, because this is so important, part of a person's life is that you are a pre-Christian. You have yet to experience following Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now, this is something that's important to think about for a moment here. Because to many people that we know that are pre-Christians, there are a couple things that begin to happen in our lives. When we have the relationship, whether it's at work, with our family, some of our friends, whoever it may be we oftentimes fall into the two extremes. What are the two extremes? The first extreme is that we are so shy, and we, as you saw it on the Mentimeter, whether it's rejection, whether it's maybe finding their approval or what they think about us, a lot of times what will happen is on one extreme, we will live our lives almost like a secret Christian, kind of like underground, if you will. Uh, we don't want to tell them we're a Christian, we're Christ followers. We don't want to infringe on some of their private space and talk about the most important thing in our lives. So what happens? When you fall into this extreme, then for you, then Christian life is all about just going to church. That's it. It's about going into the church gatherings. That's it. So you fall into this category and you just become a secret Christian where no one knows that you're saved. It, I, I, there's like incredible stories time and time again where some of you who are working, you somehow work with them for a year, two years, and then you find out later that that person that you've been seeing almost every single day is a believer. Or they know that now you are a believer. After a year, after two years, 
I, you hear these stories. And I'm not saying to go there and to just proselytize, but they should be able to know that you, you just don't go to church, but you are a follower of Christ. That Christ means something to you. That this faith is very important to you. It helps discern and to guide the decisions that you make. Or we go to the other extreme. Well, what is this other extreme? This other extreme is for many of us where we fall into this is that we then begin to say, you know what? It's just too hard to be a good witness. And so because of that, I'm just going to live the life I want to live. And that's why you don't take God seriously anymore because you don't want to become a hypocrite. You don't want to be known as that person who live a dual life, lacking in integrity. So you just end up not really following Christ and getting sucked up into the things of this world. These are the two extremes we've got to avoid. So the question now becomes this. How do we live our lives so that walking in wisdom in such a way that we're learning how to point everything back to Jesus Christ? The reason why we struggle with these two extremes is because you're making it all about you. How you live your life. How you're supposed to do this. How you failed in this. How you're not a good witness. But it's not about you, but it's about Jesus Christ. And how you make him great in your life. That's what's most important. What I want to do is I want to just show you this video. Uh, this first video, there's going to be two back-to-back videos. Um, and you'll understand why it's back-to-back. But this first video is pretty much, it's an evangelism fail. So this is pretty much not, this is not how you're supposed to evangelize. This is not how you're supposed to be a witness. I hope none of you are like this. Now, some of you who are watching, you might be thinking to yourself, well, you got to be bold. This is how you got to do it. But all I can say to you is no one is going to be attracted to you. And as you know, there's only certain things that flies get attracted to. And I don't want to have to go there, but you know what I'm saying. And so a lot of times when we try to do evangelism or sharing our faith or proclaiming our faith in this way, rarely does it work. In fact, we will be known as hypocrites. There will be a lot of things that people see. They get turned off. And you're the person that everyone at work and everyone at school wants to avoid. So let's watch this video and just once again with the mindset, this is evangelism fail. This is not how you're supposed to do it. And then we're going to stop and then I'm going to make some comments and then we're going to watch the second video. Let's watch this together. Okay. Uh, I know that's a little bit way out there, but... It just highlights the point that that is not how you're supposed to witness. That is not how you're supposed to share the gospel. And I think many of us, we might not go to that extreme, but there's so many things that we do that totally turn people off. And please don't mistake in it for learning how to hold on to a conviction, learning how to argue your faith in different ways, being bold. I think all those things are important. But there's so many of us, if we were just to stop for a moment and pull ourselves out of certain situations, I'm wondering if you were to look at it with fresh eyes, if you would even be willing to listen to yourself. I think this is the problem with so many believers in Christ is that we just don't know how to be winsome or even to live in such an authentic life that will cause people to wonder what it is. And this is the reason why we're talking about every single day to be able to live every day in such a way that it will attract people 
to not to ourselves, but to Christ that lives within us. Now, I'm going to show you the second video, and this is the right way. And I want you to try to play this out because he's going to go through the exact same scenes from everything that you have seen just prior, and he's going to now do it differently. And just see if you could pick up on some of those differences and how this is a better witness. And just think about what motivates him now. I think the other one is motivated a lot by pride himself or maybe trying to prove something. But if you look at what he's doing now in the second video, you'll see the difference. And I pray that we'll become these kind of witnesses. So let's watch this together. Did you notice the difference? I mean, definitely just more of a humble, a servant-like attitude. He gave the parking space to that guy and he remembered as he walked into the cafe, uh, asking, how can I serve? How can I pray for you? And even when he was sharing from his life, it was just not so much like he's better than everyone else, but this is what happened in his life. And so after meeting Christ, his life was completely turned around. Total different witnesses and a different approach. And I think all of us can be in agreement that the latter one is so much better. And I'm praying that we will learn how to develop that in our lives as we're talking about how we must proclaim as a witness. So as we think about this, I want to just give us a couple things that Paul mentions in these verses about proclaiming as a witness for Christ. The first thing is this, be intentional. Be intentional. The last phrase in verse 5 says, making the best use of the time. This is translated as redeeming the time. Now, this word or this phrase, redeeming the time, it comes from the Greek culture where they believed in buying up the opportunity whenever it's available to do good for yourself as well as to others. So this idea of buying something, so you're redeeming it. So the time that you have is to actually purchase it so that you can use it for something that's greater. That's why the word time that you see here, the word time is the same word as kairos, which many of you know because we study this. It's that word that talks about a strategic point of time. It is a moment in time that is very unique, very special that God ordains for us. So he's saying buy up the time to think about these opportunities that we have. And I'm realizing that it is so easy to miss these opportunities if we're not intentional. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. Listen to what it says in the New Living Translation. You can read the yellow section with me. It says this, Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. So he says, don't act thoughtlessly. So when you act thoughtlessly, that means that you're not thinking about what you're doing. This is a very good opposite of someone who is not intentional. Because when you're intentional, you're very thoughtful. You're thinking about that person. You're thinking about that situation. You're thinking about what's going to happen. You're anticipating. That's what it means to be thoughtful. You're looking at all the little details that are going on. But if you're thoughtless, you're not thinking, then you're not very intentional. 
So when you think about it this way, here you have an opportunity where you're just hanging out with your roommates. And you're just goofing off when you realize, wow, this person was sharing the other day that they were struggling. This might be a good opportunity to follow up and talk with them. That's redeeming the time. That's making the most of every opportunity that you have. When you think about some of the people and the families that you have, family members, those of you who are local Hong Kong or, or your families are here, just think about it. That how many times we do the same thing over and over again and we don't think about the opportunity that we have. Learning how to be intentional. And that's why Paul is trying to say that you should be thoughtful so that it will lead to intentionality in the things that you do. Uh, some of you know my second son actually came back uh, this summer and it was great to be able to spend some time with him. And he always just makes our family a little bit fuller and makes us laugh. And it was great because one of the things that happened was that we were able to spend some time. And just one day what happened was I was meeting up with somebody from our church. And as I was kind of talking with this person and trying to disciple and to invest in this person, it just dawned on me as that person was talking, not that I wasn't paying attention to you or anything like that, but it just hit me as this person was talking that this guy is the same age as my second son. And I realized here I was being very intentional and thoughtful as I schedule in this meeting with this person uh, week after week. And as I was thinking about this, I realized if this person is the same age as my second son, like what is it that I'm doing differently? And sometimes you take things for granted, especially when you see them every single day and you pass and you talk about random stuff, but it's not intentional. It's not thoughtful. So that's when I ended up talking to my son. I said, hey, I think it would be good if we could just kind of just meet up once a week, even though we see each other every day, but let's have a special time where we're having lunch and we're just going to talk about different things. So I have all these resources of things that I collect, whether it's through videos or just through articles. And I said, hey, it'll be great if we could talk about some of these topics because it's going to help you whether you go into the marketplace, into the workforce, or even just being able to interact with people. And so we were able to do this every single week. And as I thought about it, I realized that so many of us, we miss these opportunities because we are not intentional. Just think about this coming week. Who are some people that you're going to meet? Who are some people that you're going to see week after week or day after day? And I'm just wondering if some of us can be a little bit more intentional and to buy up the time that we have left because we don't know how long we have. The Bible tells us that we have to count our days, number our days. We don't know how long we have. And so with the time that we have to be intentional in what we do. So not only be intentional, as we talk about proclaiming as a witness, we have to be irresistible. Now, let me qualify that statement. What does it mean to be irresistible? It is nothing about how you look and do all this stuff, even though I'm guessing it will help if you never take a shower and you don't brush your teeth. That's a whole different problem. But when I say be irresistible, is something about you that attracts them in terms of where they are in their spiritual need and that they will want to talk about some important things in life. What's going to happen to you when you die? What is your purpose in life? What are some of the greatest things that are, are outside of your control? What are some ways that I can help you? 
and to be able to have these kind of conversations that will attract them and realize that there's something different about you that's definitely irresistible, that I want to get to know you and this God that you serve. Look at verse 6. In verse 6, we see here that he says that our speech is important because the phrase, be gracious, you'll notice here, be gracious, it is better translated as in grace. So he's saying that our speech should always be in grace. Now, what does this mean? Why is that important? Because to do something with grace means to be pleasant or winsome or attractive. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. It says this in the ESV. Let no corruption talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear it. So once again, it says, may give grace to those who hear it. So what he's saying is that when it's in grace, you're actually giving grace to that person. Kind of like in love, you did it with love. So the same idea. Now Paul uses this metaphor of being a seasoned, being seasoned with salt. Now why is this important? Because the reason why is that there's a reference to the purpose of salt, which is, as you know, to preserve something so it'll last longer or to purify something and also to add flavor. So when he says, allow your speech to be seasoned with salt, you'll see this in Mark chapter 9, verse 50, as Jesus taught this. I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation. It says this, salt is excellent for seasoning, but if salt becomes tasteless, how can its flavor ever be restored? Your lives like salt are to season and preserve. So don't lose your flavor and preserve the peace in your union with one another. This idea of seasoning for flavor and also for preservation, preserving. Now, those of you who might not know, there is this one grandma or auntie, I don't know how you want to look at it, that is famous around the world. Uh, those of you who might not know who I'm talking about, she is famous with close to about a, a, over a billion, 1.7 billion people. And it is, those of you who know, let me show you the picture. If you look at it, okay. If you know it, give out a little shout out, say amen, right? Amen. Laguama, right? And this sauce is what we call the sauce. Because on some of our missions project, we would go, and I remember the one we went into China. Like a lot of the food was a little bit bland for various reasons. And uh, we were just thinking, oh man, like we know that some of the Chinese food is supposed to be better with like a lot of flavors. But then they, they ended up buying the sauce. And I'm like, what is the sauce? And usually I don't like... Uh, some of these sauces from different places. And they said, just try it, Pastor Seth. I mean, it, it, is, it is really, really good. Now, I'm, I was a little bit skeptical because, like I said, there are certain sauces I do not like. I'm very particular about this. But, like I said, the food, it was no flavor. It was very bland. So I decided to put some on. And I'm telling you, it is like the world just opened up. 
In fact, it's like when you're on 2G and all of a sudden it is like 5G. Like I'm telling you, your whole mind was just blown. It was so good. And so what we ended up doing for the whole three weeks is we ended up buying, I think, what was it, like five or seven bottles of the sauce because everyone on the team, we're all like putting it on. It is so good that you can actually just eat it with rice. That's how good it is. And I was thinking about this and I realized the lagama is like the gospel. Now, please, it's a metaphor. So please understand what I'm trying to say. It's like life is just life. And then you add the lagoma into life and in your speech and the way you live and how you conduct yourself. And what happens is that there is a radical transformation. In fact, people will come back and want more. It's that powerful. And I was thinking, wouldn't that be awesome if we had like this secret sauce for our Christian life? That it will be so irresistible to people. And the thing is we do. That's the J sauce. The Jesus sauce. If we could just live the way Jesus lived. Loving, serving, compassionate. I'm wondering what would happen to the people around us and in our workplaces, in our schools, in our families, our homes around us. That's why when we season our speech with salt or in grace, then we will be prepared to answer those people who ask us for the hope that we have. That's what the writer Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. In the message translation, it says this, through thick and thin, keep your hearts at attention in an adoration before Christ your master. Be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks, come on, say this with me, why you're living the way you are and always with the utmost curiosity. They're going to ask you, why are you living the way you are? Why are you living the way you are? And so the challenge for us is to be able to say, can Jesus impact us so much that we desire now to live in a way that's so much different? Let me show you some quick pictures uh, before we close here. Um, as you know, the, one of the things that we've been emphasizing a lot in our church is that we have to be this visible witness. And so that the way we live our lives, it will be irresistible. And it's very intentional and irresistible that there will be people. That's how our church grew. We didn't have all these fancy advertisement and we didn't have all this gimmicky stuff. We just pretty much saw lives being transformed because we're preaching the gospel. As people's lives are changing, their hearts are being filled. Then they start sharing with other people, whether it's classmates or maybe their coworkers and maybe old friends that they haven't seen for a long time. So they start inviting them to various gatherings that we have in our church, different outreaches that we do to make it a little bit lower barrier instead of like an intense prayer meeting. They're coming out to some of these gatherings and as they get to meet some of us, they begin to wonder to themselves, who are these people? Like they're not, they're not weird. You know, they're normal people, but there's something different about them. And this is the reason why when you live according to what God has called us to live in a very intentional and a purposeful way, I'm telling you, it becomes irresistible. 
And so some of the pictures that you'll see and you'll notice here is, can we see some of the pictures? Uh, you know, these are some pictures um, in the early stages of our church, not way in the beginning, beginning, but as we were growing in the early stages and some of the different activities that we had, we, we would always have this newcomer's barbecue as we were welcoming a lot of the new incoming students to come. And then we will have something called the Harvest Fest, which is during uh, Halloween, where we're reaching out to the community and some of the more families and the city ministry that we have in our church, where there's a lot of kids. And so we have like uh, pumpkin stuff and we have like uh, just being able to decorate and dress up at Halloween, just just being able to come, and we just called it a harvest fest, and, and reaching out to different people. And we've seen people come to our church through that. Uh, we had different outreaches, uh, something called Price of Life, where we were talking about human trafficking. And this is something with justice that a lot of people can resonate with, whether you're a believer or not. And then we will have different car washes that we will try to raise money for our summer missions project. But those were great opportunities to talk to people as we were washing their cars, and we just said, hey, whatever you want to give as a donation basis, and those are great ways to reach out to people. I'm sharing all this because I'm wondering if some of us are very intentional, and are we becoming more irresistible because of Jesus Christ? Are we attracting people to who Jesus is that lives within us? that resides within our church? Or are we repelling them? I'm wondering if you're being very intentional in building relationships with people. And all this with the mindset that we're going to start a new season in trying to reach out to those who are outsiders. They are without, without Christ, without the hope, without this community. And that's why we must proclaim as a witness by being intentional and irresistible. So the one thing, once again, is simply this, that the everyday opportunity from God is the everyday visibility for God, that all these opportunities that we get every single day, every single moment, the Kairos moments, are those opportunities for displaying and making God visible so people will realize it's not you, but it's the Spirit of God working in you. So let me just quickly give us some next steps as we close out here. As you think about, what do I do now? A couple things. The first thing is this, is to look for opportunities that you will see throughout the day and throughout the week. you got to be looking for it. Maybe it's somebody who's struggling, someone just kind of eating by themselves. Maybe somebody kind of sharing something that you realize, oh, this person might be going through something. Or maybe there's a need that you're able to meet. So look for opportunities. It's not that they're not there. They're there. You just have to open your eyes and to be able to see it. The second thing is this. Listen for areas of pain and hurt in people's lives. And so one of the things you will notice is that there are times where if you are a good listener, you will be able to hear areas of pain and areas of struggle. Now, why is this important? Because that is usually the entryway to share from your life and the things you have gone through and also to present Christ and the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. So listen for the areas of pain. Listen for the areas of hurt. 
the things that they've experienced. Even now, so many of these local Hong Kong people, they're hurting, they're feeling these different things to be able to listen for that and see how the gospel can enter in. The third thing is this, is to love people with Christ's love. Too often we try to love people with our own love. And this is the reason why we fall short. Love them with Christ's love. To be able to love them because you have been first loved by God. And now you're able to love God. And the way you love God is by loving people. So find ways to love them. It might be in small things that you do. Maybe just like what you saw in the video. Maybe just saying, hey, is there anything I could pray for you about? Hey, it seems like you're very like stressed out. I decided to kind of give you this gift card or give you this, bring this coffee to you. Whatever it may be, just find ways to love on people in very tangible ways. Not just with words but in tangible ways. And the last thing is this, is to live more authentically. I think this is one of the most powerful ways to be able to be a witness, is to live more authentically. Now, let me explain a little bit about what I mean by here, at this point. So many of us, we think that living this Christian life is about being perfect. And I'm telling you right now, the more you present yourself as no struggles, I'm trying to be a, a perfect Christian, you are going to repel people away. Because once again, as I shared earlier, more people can relate with hurt and pain than successes. And sometimes when they see a person that presents themselves as perfect, then they're going to start thinking, I can never become like that. And so you repel people as a witness of Christ. That's why when you live more authentically, that means that you simply be, be who you are, which is you're a human being, a sinful human being with a lot of issues and a lot of struggles, whether it is in your family life, it could be with your children, your marriage, it could be with your boss, it could be with anybody. There are struggles that you're going through and to be able to be authentic about those things, but don't just stop there. Use the but and point it back to God that I'm still working through this, but I feel that God has given me hope. And so they realize, hey, you struggle too. Hey, things are hard, but it seems like you're able to trust in this God. I want to know who this God is. So if you live more authentically, then that will become more irresistible to people. So once again, look for opportunities. Listen for the areas of hurt and pain. Love people well and love them like Christ loves them. And then lastly, live authentically, and then you experience great things. At this time, what we're going to do is we're going to close here by just worshiping. And so I'm going to ask us if we could just close our eyes for a moment, just right where you are, even as you're sitting right on your desk or on your bed, wherever you are, can you just bow your heads for a moment? And as you're bowing your head, I want you to think about what was shared. We're talking about how God, every single day, gives us these opportunities. Everyday opportunities from God. He will always open doors for us because that's His heart. But the question is, are we making God visible through our lives? And the best way to do it, as we talked about today, is to be able to learn how to pray Pray, God, help me to be a witness. 
check my mindset, my perspective on life? Am I just like everyone else or is something different? Am I persevering in prayer with thanksgiving so that I could overcome the things that I'm struggling with by your grace? And then from there, proclaiming as a, a witness. And proclaiming is just declaring, publishing, just to be able to say, this is my God, this is who He is. So you got to be intentional. And hopefully by God's grace, you will be irresistible as you live this authentic life. Point everything back to Jesus and see what are the things that He can do. Can I ask you for the next 30 seconds, I want you to lift up a simple prayer. Just with your eyes closed. The simple prayer is, Lord Jesus, help me to be your witness this coming week. Whether you're going to listen well, love well, whatever it may be. Maybe just serving people around you. Look for those opportunities. But just, Lord, help me to be your witness. Can you just lift up that quick prayer? Uh, just under 30 seconds. And ask Him to help you throughout this week. As you become His witnesses. And those God-given, every single day, opportunities will turn into something where you can display God, make God visible wherever you are. So just pray that, and then we'll sing the song together, and then we'll close out. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.